Today we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 18. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. I'll be reading out of the New International Version. It'll also be up here on the screen behind me. If you don't have a, your Bible with you, it's okay. It's, it's there, but it is NIV, so if you're using a different translation, it's going to be just a little different. We're continuing the book of Acts. We left Paul in, in Athens, and he's going to make a journey today. And he's going to keep traveling, as Paul generally does. He's on the move so far in the book of Acts pretty quickly and bouncing from city to city as he's trying to help uh, spread the good news of the gospel and help start churches and, and all over the, the known world. And, and Paul is a goer, and so he's going. So we begin the story, pick the story up, excuse me, in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So what we have is we have Paul on the move again. Paul leaves Athens, and he's going to go to Corinth. Ath- Athens is here. Corinth is here. The journey is about 53 miles west, obviously, from, from Athens to Corinth on foot. So Paul makes that journey. When he gets there, he meets a few people a husband and wife duo named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, there's a lot to talk about with them, but there's a lot to talk about today, so I'm going to s- kind of skip over them quickly, and we're going to pick them up here in the, in the next few weeks and give you a little more detail about them. They're going to become a very important part of Paul's uh, mission of spreading the good news of Jesus everywhere he goes. The interesting thing, and what we're going to talk a little, a little bit about today, is they had been asked to leave Rome by Emperor Claudius. Now, Emperor Claudius reigned from AD 41 to 54, and during that time, he expelled the Jewish people from the city of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla had to leave Rome. We're not 100% certain. The the information that we have seems to be that this good news about Jesus had reached Rome from somebody besides Paul, and that the Jewish people had such a conflict over this idea of Jesus as Christ, Jesus as Messiah, that they had gotten kind of an uproar, and Claudius had banned Jewish people from the city itself. Now, if you were a Jewish person and a Roman citizen, you likely were able to stay. But if you had come through the diaspora, if you had come from other nations, from other parts of the world, you were asked to leave. And so Priscilla and Aquila had left Rome and they have settled in, in Corinth. And what we learn about them is that they are tent makers, which just means that they were leather workers. They worked in leather. And until this time, we had no idea, but Paul also ha- had the, the trade of working in leather. Most young men were given a trade by their, passed down from their fathers. We know Jesus' dad was a carpenter, right? Um, so in the ancient world, when you weren't the smartest of the, of, the, of the smartest, the best of the best, you learned to trade. And sometimes even the smart, smart people who went further on education learned to trade as well. And what we see here is Paul, who is one of the, the smart ones, pretty brilliant human being, also had a trade. He knew how to use his hands. Uh, which brings me great comfort because uh, Paul not only is a great mind, but a hard worker. And uh, I think those two are so important uh, that he can, he can use his hands. He isn't just somebody who sits at a desk all day and writes and thinks. And he, he, he has an ability to, to function in the real world outside of the world of academia. Uh, I know for myself, when I graduated Bible college, I went to work driving garbage truck as I was a part-time youth pastor in Fruitland. And the lessons I learned from that garbage truck were so vitally important. 
I learned lots of things in college. I learned lots of things in that garbage truck. And I learned how to work, how to work really hard, and how to get up early and go to bed really late. I learned how to be all by yourself and how to depend on yourself. When something went wrong, you better figure out how to fix it. You better figure out how to fix it really quick. Um, I learned all kinds of lessons in that truck that if I just would have went to college and never would have worked that job, that I wouldn't have had. Um, Paul knows how to work. He can work. He can go proclaim the good news of Jesus anywhere. He can debate with the best of us. We saw him just do in Athens, right? We saw in Athens, Paul get, stand up in front of people who that's what they do for a living, is, is debate and talk about the issues of the day. And Paul gets up there and can stand toe-to-toe with them. And yet he can also go and make tents. He can also go and work leather. Um, Paul is such a, what a wonderful example of somebody who knows how to work. And Paul can do that. And so Paul has probably run out of finances. The churches that support him, he hasn't had any support for a while. He's now moved to a place where there's likely little to no church, right? Because no one probably has been in Corinth yet. And so he's going to go to work for a while to support himself. And so that's what he does. And so he goes with Aquila and Priscilla and he starts working. Working in, in, in the trade of, of leather. And so he stays and works with them. And while he's staying and working, while he's putting in his 40, 50 hours a week, it's still not stopping him from going and, spread, and spreading the good news about Jesus. Look what verse 4 tells us. Despite all the work he's putting in every week, every Sabbath, it says, Paul doesn't take the day off. What's he do? He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade both Jews and Greeks to come to this Jesus. Paul is working a normal job and preaching as well. We continue the story in verses 5 and 6. It says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Silas and Timothy, some of Paul's traveling companions, bring a gift from the churches in Macedonia to Paul, and so Paul is now able to preach full-time. Right? He doesn't have to continue to work at, at, at tent-making. He's able to have, he has the finances now to be able to provide for himself and care for himself, and so he dedicates himself fully to preaching. If you, The poor Corinthians thought they were okay when Paul had to work full-time. Just imagine what, how he was when he, he was able to preach full-time. What happens to Paul here in Corinth has happened to him pretty much everywhere he goes, right? He has some success. He's able to bring some people to Jesus, but oftentimes people oppose him. And so it happens in verse 6. They oppose Paul, and Paul says, fine. If you don't want to hear the good news, I'll go to people who, would, who do. And so he leaves the synagogue and goes out to Gentile people, people who don't know anything about this God of the Jews, of the Hebrews. And so verse 7 and 8, it says this. Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. What we have is Paul's able to win influence in both Jewish circles and Gentile circles. Titius Justus is a a Greek name. He's probably a Gentile person. And so most likely the church is meeting in his home. He obviously has a good-sized home, I guess, apparently from archaeological uh, discoveries. There There were uh, houses in Corinth that were pretty common that could hold 40 or 50 people. Uh, they, could, they could meet in there. So that most likely, Titius Justice is where the church, this baby little church in Corinth is meeting. What we see 
is it isn't just Gentile people, Titius Justus, but Crispus, who was a leader in the synagogue, had influence in the Jewish realm. Him, his and his entire, him excuse me, and his entire household have come to believe in this Jesus. And also, many others. And so this little church is growing and starting in Corinth. Then we have verses 9, 10, and 11. It says this, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul gets the reassurance, that word from God in a vision, that it's going to be okay, that you can stay here, you can settle down, and it'll be all right. Now we've seen Paul face all kinds of opposition this far in the book of Acts. People literally have tried to kill him. He's had to be snuck out of cities in the, in the middle of the night, Right? And here, Paul gets a chance to just plant roots for a little bit. <clears throat> Corinth is a pretty good-sized city, has pretty decent wealth because of the fact that it's a port city, and Paul is able to settle in and, and, and spend some time here. And for Paul, a year and a half is a very long time. As we've seen Paul go, 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 go. Here he gets to establish somewhat of a home base for, for a little while. And you can imagine the city of Corinth, all of them get to have Paul as a treat for a year and a half bringing them the good news of Jesus. How often do we need to be reminded that God is with us? So verse 10 tells us. God, in the vision, tells Paul, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. That's five words. But man, those five words are transformational, aren't they not? Those five words are, are life-changing. When we place our faith in God, we trust in Him with everything we have. The promise is, we see throughout Scripture, is that He will never leave us or forsake us. Those five words, I, for I am with you, hold great power. And we can have the courage to do things that we would never do any other way if it wasn't for God because He's with us. He's there. And so when we face adversity, when things aren't going our way, we have to just calm our hearts and our minds for a minute and remind ourselves that God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and always. His promises have always been good and will always be good. And when He says He's with us, He means it. And so no matter what comes our way, we can take hope, we can take courage in the fact that God is there. story continues, verse 12 and 13. While Gallio was proconsul of Acacia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Peace doesn't last all that long for Paul. A little longer this time, he gets a year and a half of it. This is what they say as they bring this attack against him. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. This is a Jewish question, right? Paul, now you and I both know that Paul has grown up in the Jewish world and grew up in Jewish education system and knows his stuff inside and out. So you're going to bring this accusation against Paul, you have better put your big boy pants on and do your homework, right? Because this dude, is, he's smart and he knows his stuff. So they, they, they've got what they think is enough evidence, enough people on their side to bring this attack against Paul. So they're going to try to bring this to the, to the Corinthian authorities, which is one of their first mistakes. And so the, remember, the charge against Paul is he is persuading people 
to worship God in ways that is different than the law, different than tradition, just in, different than the way we've always done it. And man, isn't that hard for us. As human beings, we tend to like things to stay a certain way. Homeostasis is what they call it, right? Things to be this way, and we want it to be this way always. It doesn't take us long, hopefully in life, to realize that that's not how life goes. That we can make all the plans we want, we can have all, the, all of our little ducks in a row, and something from an outside force comes in and interferes, and life can change in an instant. It just can. And for here, this accusation is what? Paul is teaching things that's different than the way we've always done it. Remember, the Jewish people for hundreds and hundreds of years had been looking forward to the Messiah. Like the book says it, right? The, the scrolls that they have in their synagogue in the Old Testament taught constantly about, hey, there's one who's going to come who's going to make things right again. And when he came, they're like, well, I'm not sure. You've been waiting for hundreds and hundreds of years for this moment, and when it came, some people missed it. And I think one of the big reasons why they missed it is because of status quo. We like things to just be the way they are. And when they change, that's hard. Most of us aren't huge fans of change. And so the, the, the accusation essentially is Paul isn't fitting into our tradition anymore and we don't like it. It's equivalent of someone's in my pew. Someone parked in my spot, right? Someone is in my office at work and I don't like it. They changed my favorite whatever at the grocery store and they don't have it anymore and now I'm upset, right? That's what we're talking about. It's tradition. It's history. And tradition is a very powerful thing. I'm not telling you that tradition is all bad. It's not. But when tradition gets in the way of truth, then we've got to, pay, we've got to change our tradition. Because tradition isn't good enough anymore. And Paul is trying to bring them truth that the Messiah has come, that your sins can be forgiven if you put your hope and your faith and your trust in this Jesus and they just can't quite get on board. And that's what this is about. What happens next is, is actually pretty fascinating. We're going to spend some time on this. Verse 14 through 17. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be, a reason, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. He doesn't care, Right? He, he, he's, he's not Jewish. He has no Jewish background. He could care less. He's like, why are you wasting my time? That's what he just said, right? That's what he just said. He might have said it in a nice way, but that's what he was saying. Get out of here. I don't have time for this. Go settle this yourselves. Any, any parent has done this about 4,000 times, right? One kid brings you one story. One kid brings you another story. And you're like, why is this my problem? You guys figure it out. I don't need the stories because neither one of you are probably telling me the truth. So go home, go back and figure it out. It's pretty simple. If you're a parent, you've done this a million times. And so that's what he does. He sends them home. He says, I don't, I don't care. Figure it out. I will not be judged of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So we have two sides. We have Paul who's representing this new community of believers, the Christians. And we have Sosthenes, who's a leader of the synagogue, who represents the Jewish side of this debate. They're on opposing sides, right? Sosthenes' side essentially loses because the guy says, I don't really care, go home. And so what we're not sure is who beats him. If it's the fellow Jewish people who come with him, we said, hey, Sosthenes, you should have made a better argument so he would listen to us so we could have got Paul ran out of here. We're not sure. I, I lean that way to think the people who were on his side turn on him saying, 
you didn't accomplish our purpose. We were trying to get Paul ran out of here like they have in other cities around the kingdom. And you didn't do it. And you failed us, and so now we're going to rough you up a little bit. Or if it's Gentile people who are just there who, as we know, crowds have no wisdom and crowds have no knowledge, and they turn on Sosthenes and start being, I don't know the details. All we know is Sosthenes takes a beating, and Galileo the proconsul could care less. Like, yeah, do whatever. I don't really care about him either. That's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is Sosthenes for a minute. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Now, I can't prove this without a shadow of a doubt, but I, I have this weird feeling. Remember, what city are we in right here? This is happening in the city of Corinth. 1 Corinthians is written to the believers in what city? In Corinth. And look what 1 Corinthians 1, 1 says. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now I can't prove it without a shadow of a doubt that that's the same dude, but I got this weird feeling that it just might be. And what side is he on in the debate in Acts chapter 18? Paul's on one side and Sosthenes is on the other. And Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, is trying to say, hey, this, this message Paul has, it's dangerous, it's hurting our tradition, and we want him gone. And then he takes a beating for it. And man, it just makes me wonder if someone didn't just stop and stay there once the crowd dispersed. And poor Sosthenes is all bloodied, and his, t- his clothes are probably torn, and he's hurting, both physically and emotionally, right? When everyone that's on your side turns on you, that's not a great feeling. And he's left there all by himself. And I just wonder if Paul and some of those believers with him didn't sit there and wait. And when the crowd was gone and nobody else cared, there was a group of individuals who said, hey, Sosthenes, we'll take care of you. We'll bandage those wounds. We'll give you a meal and bring you into our home. And if Sosthenes didn't just see that and think to himself, hey, maybe this guy isn't all bad after all. Maybe this good news really is it's good news. Because these first Christians started some really great traditions, like caring for people. Like they took Jesus' words of loving your enemy and they took those words serious. I just wonder if Paul and some of those people didn't look at their enemy, Sosthenes, and think to themselves, man, didn't Jesus tell us that we had to love him? And when he was hungry to feed him, and when he's thirsty, give him something to drink? And I just wonder, and this is just my own imagination right now, if they didn't take Sosthenes in. I just, I just can't imagine being a, seeing that. And I wonder how many Corinthians saw that and thought to themselves, hey, maybe this good news matters after all. Because if you and I are going to bring people to this Jesus, our actions speak much louder than our words. You can talk the talk, man, but if you don't walk the walk, quit talking the talk. Because if there's one thing that has damaged the Christian faith for hundreds and hundreds of years, is people who say one thing with their mouth and say something else with their life. People who... Who's, who try to share the good news of the gospel but don't have the good news of the gospel here. Like it hasn't hit here. And if it hasn't hit here, who cares? You can have it in your head all you want. The first people 
the first thing in the Scriptures to identify Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, as the chosen one of God is a demon. It's the first one to say, hey, I think that Jesus is something special, is a demon. Demons, James, the Apostle James tells us, even demons believe in God and shudder in James chapter 2. Belief here is a great thing, but if you haven't connected here to here, it doesn't matter. I just wonder if the Apostle Paul and those with him didn't see Sosthenes and didn't see an enemy, didn't see someone who just tried to get them thrown out of Corinth, but saw someone who needed hope, who needed love, needed grace and mercy, just like everybody in this building right now is in desperate need of hope and love and grace and mercy. And what the first Christians were so good at was giving hope and love and grace and mercy. And can the same be said of us? Are we gracious and loving and kind and merciful? If we went to any city in this country and took a survey of how people describe Christians, would they say they're loving and gracious and kind and merciful? I don't want to spoil your afternoon, but when they do that, that's not what comes up. When people are asked, people who are unchurched are asked about Christians, their words aren't, they're loving, merciful, and kind. It's that they're often judgmental and hateful and a little too political. And the list goes on and on. And love and grace and mercy and kindness isn't the top four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten. If you and I want to show people the good news and want to share the good news with people, which we should, It has to start with our hands and feet before it ever comes out our mouth. Because Sosthenes, I believe, comes to know this Jesus because there were people who were faithful to the mission, not with their tongues, but with their hands and their feet. Your tongue doesn't bandage someone's wounds. And I believe these first Christians brought Sosthenes in to the fold. And when Paul writes the letter to the Corinthian church, Sosthenes makes an appearance. Why? Because there's all kinds of people in the Corinthian church who know him and know his story. And Sosthenes is with Paul, helping Paul in his ministry when he writes the letter to the Corinthian church. And the letter isn't super kind, by the way, if you haven't read it. There's a lot the Corinthian church needs to do to get better at living a redeemed life. But Sosthenes is there. Man, what a story, I believe. I can't, again, I can't prove it 100%, but a story, I believe, of redemption and forgiveness and, and enemy loving, of loving our enemies just like Jesus told us to do. Because when we get close to them, we might just find out that they're not our enemies after all. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this story. As Paul leaves Athens and heads to Corinth, he meets many people who will impact his life for the rest of his life, Aquila and Priscilla and Sosthenes, Father, who, who once Paul could have considered an enemy, but, but instead of viewing him that way, of labeling him as that, chose to view him as a person in desperate need of you, in desperate need of your saving. And God, every one of us in, that, in this room, especially myself, are in desperate need of your grace and your mercy and your love and your kindness. And God, may we never forget that. We know it's hard as we live our life in this world, Father, to to not want to just label people a certain way. Because it's easy and it's clean and it makes life easier to live and more convenient, God. But we help us to strip away those labels and to view people as you view them. 
as priceless, as valuable, as people who are are image bearers of you, of the divine. Every one of us is created with worth and value. No matter how much we choose to tarnish it through our actions, God, that value and worth is still there because we were created in your image from the beginning. So help us as Christians, Father, to not view people as our enemy, but to view them as people who have been loved and are loved by you. Help us to reach out to those who are hurting, whether it's physical, emotional, it's mental, spiritual, God. Help them, help us to point them to the one who heals all those wounds, God. That's you. We thank you for all that you do for us, how you have blessed us so. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said,